Why do Christians all over the world call today Good Friday? You know, it's what makes today so good? You know, to the world, today's just another Friday, or it's a good Friday because it signals the end of another work week. TJF, thank God it's Friday. But there's something different about today for Christians, and we call it Good Friday, and we see it as being good, not just that it's good for me and for us, but good news for all, for everyone all over the world, whether or not you see today as good, it's still good to you. It's universally good. It's objectively good. And we call it good because on today, we remember Jesus died for the sins of the world. You know, the psalmist says that God has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Instead, he bore our sins. Jesus bore our sins. He took our sins upon himself willingly, by choice, in his love for us. And he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the most amazing thing of all is that God the Father looked upon his son on that cross and the sacrifice and the love and the obedience in which he was demonstrating to the Father and he saw that it was good. You know, the same way that God, after making the world in six days, looked upon all he had made and he saw that it was good. Same way in which when his son was baptized in the Jordan River, a voice from heaven came down and, and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, if, if God the Father was pleased with the son for his baptism, imagine how much more it pleased the father to look upon his son's love for sinners on that cross. Sinners like you and, and, and sinners like me. Yet what makes Christianity unique and irreligious to the core is that it claims that there's just one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ and his death, through the blood that he has shed for us on the cross. And some have found that claim to be pure foolishness. As Paul says to the Corinthians, that for some, the gospel message of salvation is pure folly. It's foolishness. Others today find that claim to be, at very best, an outdated claim, or maybe a little bit insensitive of other cultures and religions. And at worst, would say that it's downright offensive to make such a claim, and it's ignorant to say that there's just but one way to God through Jesus Christ. But it's not simply that Jesus died that makes this claim so offensive or foolish to some, but it's how he died. That is, he died on a cross. You know, for many today, when we look upon a cross, you know, we put a cross here behind us, we look upon it and we see it, we equate it as a symbol of beauty, of love. You know, we display it, you know, around our necks or we place it beside candles. But before the cross ever became to us a symbol of beauty and love, it was the most grotesque and ugly symbol that there ever was. Because it was a symbol of government-sponsored torture and public execution. The Roman crucifixion. You know, in Jesus' time, 
crucified men were a familiar sight. It wasn't uncommon to see those two pieces of wood nailed together and somebody, a criminal, hanging upon that cross. And it was a, a method designed to be seen by as many people as possible. You know, you were not just putting a man to death, but you were publicly humiliating them in the process. That was the point. It wasn't just to execute them for the crimes committed against the state of the Roman Empire. It was to humiliate them for possibly fathoming to do such a thing. The point was public degradation, along with prolonging as much agony upon that person for as long as possible. The point was to invite public you know, contempt and disgust. A person upon the cross was a symbol that says, this person is the scum of the earth. And they don't deserve to live. And so they were nailed or tied to a large wooden beam, and they were left there. Some would hang there for hours, others for days. You know, before they were put upon a cross, they would go through a, a public flogging or scourging with whips. These whips were pieces of, these long pieces of leather with tiny bones or, or metal balls attached to the end of it that were designed to cut into the flesh, you know, to inflict as much damage as possible. I heard one person say that to, be, to receive one lashing with the whip is the equivalent of being shot in the back with a shotgun. That's how much force these, this, this flogging would, would, would you know, entail. And then after being flogged and, and, and having much bleeding, uh, uh, the criminal would then carry his cross from inside the city all the way to the outside of the city. And over their heads would be a sign which displayed the crimes that were committed against the state. You know, by the time one would reach the crucifixion site, that, by that time they had lost a lot of blood because of the scourging. And they're exhausted because of the toll it took to carry that cross outside the city. And on that cross, a person's weight would be suspended by just their arms, the nails through their hands and their arms, their wrists and their, and their feet. Meaning it was difficult to breathe. And to get one complete breath, you had to physically push yourself up with the nails in your hands and feet in order just to get one breath. You know, how these victims would perish was due to suffocation. That's the cause of death, asphyxiation. But if the process was taking too long, it was not uncommon for them to break the legs of the victims to speed the process up, as was the case when Jesus was crucified. The two others there was taking too long, and because it was Sabbath the next day, the Jews requested to have their legs broken so that they could take the criminals down before the Sabbath. Jesus, who was the Son of God, perfect and blameless in every way, did not commit a single crime, experienced all this, but not by force, but willingly chose to lay down his life because that's what good shepherds do. They lay down their life for their sheep. Now, John chapter 10, 17 to 18 says, This is why the Father loves me, Jesus is speaking. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. 
And so the cross forever and always, as gruesome and grotesque as it was, as scandalous and foolishness as it is to some today, it remains central to our understanding of salvation and love because it was, to quote the great Anglican preacher Fleming Rutledge, the turning point of history, the final and complete action of God to redeem his lost creation. It was the definitive victory over the demonic powers. It was the reversal of a long downward spiral that began with our forebears in the Garden of Eden. It was the deliverance of a human race from its long captivity. It was the new and ultimate exodus from bondage. It was the creation of a new humanity in the perfect likeness of its creator God. It was the death of death. And on that cross, as Jesus took his very last breath, he said those words, It is finished. Tetelestai, which means to bring to completion, to fullness. It is accomplished. What was finished on the cross? The debt that you owed to God because of your sin was finished. The power that sin has over you and death has over you is finished. The vast divide between you and God, preventing you and I from coming into his presence, from knowing him, is finished. The perfect plan of a new creation, of full and everlasting life, is finished. And so today on this Good Friday, you know, let's say to God what Paul said to the Corinthians. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. It is a gift of grace to a world enslaved in sin. So indescribable it is because there's no words that can really truly grasp the cost that it, that it, the way it costs God to become like one of us and offer himself as an offering for sin. There are no words really. I've tried, but I really can't fully fathom it. It is simply indescribable. And so what do I do then when something is so indescribable that it cannot be described, that it cannot be fully articulated? I'm left to say these words. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. And so today, if you believe these words, if this is a claim that you believe today and hold in your heart, I want to just invite you right now just to say those words. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And I believe in you. I believe in who you said you are. You are the Son of God. I believe in what you did on Good Friday. That is, you endured the cross. You took my place. You paid the penalty that I owed. I believe in you and who you are calling me to be and what you are calling me to do. You are calling me to become your child, your disciple, to repent of my sinful ways, to offer my life to you by taking up my cross and to spend the rest of my life and the rest of my days following you and learning your ways, and, and getting to know you and follow you. So if you believe this to be true and you are grateful for what Jesus has done today, would you just take a moment right now, just quietly in your own, in your own words, just bow your head right now and just say those words, thank you, and just utter a prayer on your own to God of thanks. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, as been, as been the theme this entire morning, 
today we gather today and by our presence, Lord, by our singing, by our worship, it is our way of saying thank you today for the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this communion that we just partook, Lord, the, the word Eucharist means the great thanksgiving. That's what we have done, this, taken part in this great thanksgiving, the body and blood of Christ. There's no other day in the calendar that just means more than today. But Lord, I pray that we would not live and, and, be in, and live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude just one day of the year. But Lord, we live every day, every single day, Lord, in remembrance of you and what you have done and who you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you for the cross, for the gift of grace that was purchased by your blood. And how, our, how we respond to you today is by offering you our, our entire lives in return, by offering you our love and our worship and our, and our devotion. We pray this in your name. Amen.